So it, it is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And you know, the truth is that even if it was raining and storming and super hot, it's still a great day to be in the house of the Lord. I am, uh, I am excited to, to talk with you this morning because something that I've learned very early on is that when I feel the most prepared to speak is usually when I feel like my messages, meh, they kind of go okay. When I feel the least prepared is when God's like, okay, now I can do it because it's not about you, it's about me, right? So I, sometimes God will give me a thought that I'll, I'll sit and marinate on for a week, two weeks, three weeks before, before it turns to a sermon. And that's not really what happened with this particular message. I, I was desperately scrounging trying to figure out, God, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, what I'm going to speak about. And kind of at the last minute, it just all fell out and happened. But I think it's timely. I think that what God has been doing within this church through stages when, with that Nebraska conference and talking about revival and the things that God wants us to do. And in that process, though, we have to grow to increase our capacity if we want God to use us in higher ways than we were used before. So with that, I'm going to open by saying this. Church, God loves brokenness. It may seem like an odd statement to start a, a, a beautiful Sunday morning out on, but God loves brokenness. In Psalms 34, 18, if you want to stand with me, I'm going to just read two opening verses, and then we'll get into it here. Psalms chapter 34 and verse 18 says this, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Do you want God to be close to you? I think most of us, we want to feel God's presence, right? We want to, to know that God is with us. Well, the Bible says that the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalms chapter 51, verse 17. Not only is God near to those who are of a broken heart, but listen to what Psalms 51, 17 says. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. You may be seated this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit about brokenness. The question is, is why? Why does God love a broken heart? And why does God love a, a, a broken spirit? To know the answer, I'm going to read a lot of my text this morning from Jeremiah chapter 18. And let me give you just a little bit of context before we kind of jump into our main scriptures here in Jeremiah 18. The whole thing of what Jeremiah does is he has been called, as many of the Old Testament prophets were, to bring about a warning to the nation of Israel. Now often we look at the Old Testament prophets as just bringing judgment against the nation and, and God in his anger saying, I'm about to punish you, I'm about to, to bring this catastrophe on you. And we look at it only as God's anger and wrath. But the truth is, is that God used the, the judgment of the Old Testament prophets as a way of mercy. Because you see, in every pronouncement of judgment that God made through the Old Testament prophets, he also gave them a way out of that judgment. The judgment was meant to be a warning. It was meant to be a sign to tell them that this is going to befall you if you do not change your ways. God is continually, even to this day, working on our lives to show us his mercy by saying, if you do not change, this is going to happen. But I don't want that to happen. I love you. I want you to change your ways. 
And so that's where we pick up in Jeremiah chapter 18. God is pronouncing judgment, but Jeremiah is meant to speak to the people and tell them how that God loves them and wants them to change. So let's pick up in verse 1, and it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as I did as this potter? Saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. And if you read on in there, God is very explicitly saying that he desires to make a new vessel out of Israel. He desires for them to change, for their hearts to be molded. You see, God didn't just want to love Israel, but he wanted Israel to be broken. He wanted them to first recognize their wickedness and their shortcomings, because only then could God reveal his true purpose for, the, for his people. God did not just want to forgive Israel, but he wanted to take their broken, brokenness and turn them into a masterpiece. So that's my title this morning, simply this, From Broken Pieces to a Masterpiece. Now, if you will allow me, I want to further illustrate the principle of what's being talked about in Jeremiah chapter 18 by discussing a few other broken people in Scripture. When we pick up in the book of Exodus, we find the story of Moses. But you have to know why Moses was in the predicament that he was in to begin with. You see, Joseph had found favor under Pharaoh, but eventually that Pharaoh died and a new Pharaoh arose. And that Pharaoh looked out at the people of Israel and how they were multiplying, and he was afraid of what could happen. So he decided that to stop this threat, he would destroy all of the baby Hebrew boys, Moses being one of those. Of course, we know the story that God intervened and Moses was sent down the river in a basket and was found and God allowed his own mother to nurture him and, and to grow him up. And Moses was positioned right in the center of a corrupt system by being made Pharaoh's son. Eventually, Moses would come to realize how he was different than Pharaoh and Pharaoh's son and he would see the plight of one of his fellow uh, Hebrew brethren being struck by a whip. And uh, Moses, in his own self-righteousness, decided he would fix the problem by murdering the Egyptian who was doing this. The next day, he comes up to two other Hebrews who are arguing. And one of the Hebrews, Hebrew boy, uh, uh, guys hits the other. So Moses, again, in his own Ability says, hey, I can fix this situation. He steps in to try to do something about it. And instead of being well received, this is what actually happens. Listen to Exodus 2, 14 and 15. And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? And tendest thou to kill me as thou killedst the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Moses was rejected, and now on the run. He was broken. But we know that God had a plan for Moses. But Moses would never have become the great patriarch 
that he was as long as he stayed in Egypt, trying to do it his own way. The clay can never be molded into a masterpiece as long as it sits in the ground. You will never be molded into the masterpiece that God envisions for you as long as you're content, more content to stay in the world than sit on the potter's will. You must place yourself on the will of the potter voluntarily. If you read the rest of Jeremiah 18, you will see God is pleading with Israel, desperately trying to show them his love and mercy. But ultimately, it was up to Israel to accept or to reject God's mercy. Now, it's also worth noting that it took Moses 40 years away from his situation before God, he could allow God to work through him. Sometimes we see a need for a change, but we think we know better than God. We think we know the timing in which that change should take place. We think we know how long it's going to take for that brokenness to be healed. We think we know what should be done and how this process should go. And I'm going to tell you, most of us don't think, well, I think it's going to take me about 40 years to get over my situation and to be used by God. Right? I'm thinking like, how about two days, God? Two days and then I should be all better and ready to go on to the next mission. And that's, that's, and that's even a long time for me, man. I, the, my patience doesn't last that long. But it took Moses 40 years in the wilderness being molded and changed and made into this new vessel that God could ultimately use. And at any time, Moses could have left. He could have left that desert place. He could have went on to somewhere else. But he had to willingly stay, if you will, on the potter's will for that time of molding and changing. Next, let's look at the story of Joseph. In Genesis 37 through 50, we find a young boy, a dreamer. He was very clearly had a calling on his life. But in his immaturity, he shares his dreams with his brothers. Joseph's brothers started out by being annoyed with their little brother. But that annoyance quickly grew from an annoyance to a hatred. Joseph's brothers ultimately sell him into slavery. And that was a step up because they wanted to kill him. But eventually they decided not to kill him and only sell him into slavery. Joseph, of course, then gets placed into Potiphar's house where he works hard and is promoted to second in command over Potiphar's affairs. And yet again, Joseph is met by a world that hates his calling. Potiphar's wife becomes enraged when he won't uh, uh, meet with her advances, and won't debase himself with her. So she lies and has him put in prison. And time and time again, the cycle continues with Joseph. Now this story is interesting to me because unlike in Moses' situation where Moses did something very clearly wrong. He killed a man. He, he took God's judgment into his own hands and executed a man. We don't really find that with Joseph. We don't find, at least in the scripture, now all of sin, but we don't find in scripture where Joseph did some outlandish sin, some outlandish deed that lands him where he is, that gets him put into this place. Joseph was a seemingly innocent man of God who had a calling on his life. And yet, time and time again, Joseph found himself in a place of brokenness. Church, we have to recognize that broken, being broken is not always about removing just sin from our lives. But being broken is allowing God to take 
the things in our lives, the imperfections, they don't have to be sins per se. But, but see, in Joseph's situation, he had a calling, but he was not mature enough for that calling yet to come to pass. He was immature in his young age, and God had to take him through a process of maturing first. See, on that potter's wheel, when it said in Jeremiah 18 where he, the, the pot was marred, the clay was marred in the potter's hand, it does not mean that the potter marred the clay. What was often the case is as that potter works that clay, little rocks or little pieces of debris would come up out of that clay. And as it's spinning on that wheel, that rock would cause the clay to become deformed. So that potter would have to take that clay and rework it again. Removing those imperfections, removing those things that are making it not into the vessel that he wanted it to be. Eventually we know Joseph would be placed as Pharaoh's right-hand man. Joseph did nothing wrong with Potiphar's wife, and yet he was punished for her lies. Joseph did nothing wrong with his brothers, and yet he was punished for their lies. Joseph could have very easily quit right there, but he endured the brokenness. And by doing so, he was molded for what was to come. Because it wouldn't be long before he was met by the arrival of his brothers. You know, the ones who betrayed him. The ones who originally plotted to kill him. The ones who looked at his dreams and laughed. But now Joseph had been broken and molded time and time again. So that when he was in a position that he could have executed judgment over his brothers, he instead executed mercy now imagine with me for a moment now this is just my my thought process here this is not scripture but imagine one week one month one year after joseph had been sold into slavery and beaten as a slave and he was then faced with that same option with his brothers who came to him who knows how it might have been different and is still in his young and immature state, he might have executed that judgment on his brothers because he was no doubt angry, and rightfully so. But you see, God was positioning Joseph in such a place to be the, the salvation of a whole nation. But in order to fulfill that purpose, he had to be broken and remolded, broken and remolded until he was finally the vessel that God was ready to use. Finally, we look in Acts chapter 7, through Acts chapter 9, and we see the story of Paul. When we think of Paul, we often think of his many epistles. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We think about his encounters with the Jewish elite, as well as the Roman rulers. We think about his midnight breakout from the prison. But Paul understood the reason for the breaking process. Often I read through the stories of Paul as he, you know, he talks about being shipwrecked and abandoned and beaten and near death. And I look at him like, man, how can Paul have such a good attitude about all of this? How can Paul like endure all of this? And you know, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, endure hardness as a good soldier. Well, how? How, does, how is he able to do this? But you see, Paul didn't start out as Paul. Paul, of course, started out as Saul. Saul, of course, hated the church. When we are first introduced to Paul in the book of Acts, we see that he is consenting to the death of Stephen. Saul wanted nothing more than to stamp out this new church. He wanted nothing more than to throw down this revival that was happening in the first century church. To the Jews, he was an extremely devout soldier who embodied what it meant to be a Jew. But to the church, 
he was a walking boogeyman. A nightmare whose name, when said, often meant that people were going to be arrested and possibly executed. Scripture says that he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. By all accounts, Saul was a horrible person who wanted nothing more than to stop the spread of the gospel. But what he didn't know is that God was using him, even in his misguided zeal, to spread the gospel. Look at what Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 4 says. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. You see, Saul thought he knew what he was doing. He thought he was following God's plan, but he was furthering the kingdom and he didn't even know it. But see, Paul needed to come to a moment of breaking before he was able to to see spiritually what was happening. We, of course, see that Saul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. He falls off the horse. He sees the bright light and he is physically blinded. God took away this great soldier's sight, his ability to identify Christians, his ability to look at others. God removes that from him. God had to break him. He had to humble him. And he brings him ultimately to Ananias and Ananias comes and prays for him. The scales fall off his eyes. And then Paul eventually gets to this place. But see, Paul could have never endured the hardship of the whip. Paul could have never endured the hardness of being shipwrecked and and almost drowning if he first not had a moment of brokenness on the road to Damascus where he realized that, wow, all this time I've actually been working against God. All this time where I thought I was a Jew following God's commandments, I was actually breaking them and going against the very will of God. Even Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, had to have a time of being broken before He could be made into the masterpiece that God had called him to be. Saul's name, of course, was changed to Paul. And for the rest of his ministry, he never forgot where God had brought him from. That's why in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, Paul says that Jesus came into the world to save the sinners of whom he was the worst one. And I love the progression of Paul. As Paul continues to go through moments of brokenness, You will notice in his earlier writings, first Paul calls himself, he says that he is the least among the apostles. Then the next time we see him talk about himself, he says he is the least among the saints. And then finally, in one of his last letters, he says that he is the chief among sinners. You see, the more that God molded him, the more that he endured the brokenness with gladness and he allowed God to mold him, the more he realized what it was all about in the first place. That he was a vessel. He wasn't the object of what was in the vessel. He was carrying the gospel. He was the vessel for the good news of Christ. The show wasn't about him. It was about the mercy of God. And the more he realized how God was continuing to show that in his own life, he said, I must decrease that you might increase. But Paul would have never gotten there if he had stopped in that moment of brokenness. If he would allow that time of breaking to, to say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, I quit. He would have never have become the masterpiece 
that God had called him to be. This brings me to my final lesson from Jeremiah chapter 18. Listen to what verse 4 says. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Paul endured all hardship and loneliness, not only, or maybe not only, but not because he felt guilty for his past life, but he knew that he had been called for a purpose. And he was unable to feel that, fulfill that purpose unless he allowed God to break him and reshape him. He had to become a new vessel. But I want you to notice the very intentional use of the word vessel in Jeremiah 18. This is because a vessel is an instrument made by the potter with a specific purpose. And that purpose is determined by the potter, not the vessel. We live in a world that tells us, be whatever you want to be. Be the captain of your own ship. Pursue anything you want to, no matter what it does to your family, no matter what it does to your soul. You can do anything in life. Be proud of your sin. Be proud of who you are. I hate this phrase, speak truth to your own power. Because the reason, here, let me explain the reason I don't like that phrase. Because the way that it's often interpreted is, whatever your truth is, that, that's okay. You speak power to your truth. And, and you speak truth to power to your truth. But there is no your truth and your truth and your truth. There is only one truth. And that is determined by the potter. Therefore, God made you with a purpose. And he determines that purpose for your life. Not you. And believe it or not, it's a very liberating thing. Because when you realize that God has already predestined you for a purpose, it means that he's the one responsible for molding you to fulfill that purpose. It means that God did not call you because you already had all the skills and you had all the knowledge. No, God called you because he knew he could give you the skills. He could impart what you need to know to fulfill the purpose that you have in your life. I think sometimes we get this ministry thing so twisted because we think, well, I have to read every single book that's out there before I can ever teach a Bible study. I have to know every scripture by heart before I can ever talk to somebody about Jesus. And God is saying, no, that's, that's not the point. I'm molding you to a vessel so that I can fill that vessel up with my spirit. So that you are simply the carrier of that spirit. And you live that life and you show the love and the mercy and, and the peace of Christ. And when they look at you, if you're doing it right, they're not going to see the vessel. They're going to see the contents of the vessel. Church, that is our purpose. Not to be the beautiful vessel that everybody says, ooh, what a pretty vessel. But to be the vessel that has been broken and reshapen into a masterpiece where people can say, wow, what is it inside of you that's so different? than what's in the rest of the world? How is it that you have peace in your brokenness? How is it that you are going through such a hardship and yet you're not giving up? Because you're staying on the wheel of the potter and he is making you and mending you and fixing those hurts and reshaping you as it pleases the potter. Church, when God breaks you, it is not meant to be a punishment. God is not some mean a dad who's sitting up in his chair saying, well, you messed up this time. Now i got to break you again. 
But like what was saying in Jeremiah 18, God is saying, no, I so desperately love you. I want to work you. I want to remake you so that you can fulfill the purpose that I have for you. God is saying, I am the potter and I have chosen you for a purpose. But to fulfill that purpose, I must break you and mold you until all imperfections are gone. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, as long as you live in this flesh, there will never be a time where there are no imperfections. Which means we will have to continue to endure hardships and brokenness. One thing I love about the story of Joseph is, Joseph didn't undergo just one broken time, but he went brokenness after brokenness after brokenness. But what God was doing is increasing the vessel each time so that when he was finally placed in that ultimate place of authority, he was ready. See, sometimes we go through a really hard time in our life and God delivers us throughout that hard time. I think about my own life and, and my struggles with PTSD and my struggles with, with making bad choices, dealing with that after the military. And God delivered me from all of that. And he, he broke me and he remolded me. And I, I'm like, man, this is great. I'm remolded. I don't ever have to go through anything like that ever again. Until I get to that next moment of brokenness, like, oh, wait, there's still this other thing that I haven't actually fixed yet. And God has to break that down and remold it. I'm like, great, now I don't ever have to go through that again. And then I get to the next place, and God's like, okay, now there's this other little imperfection. But what God is doing each time is he's making the vessel stronger and bigger, trying to allow for more of his presence to be in that vessel. You see, Pharaoh saw the potential of Israel. And, and he was so afraid of the potential of Israel, he ordered the murder of the Hebrew boys, hoping to destroy their future. Joseph's brothers saw the potential of his dreams, and they were so irritated and, and ultimately scared and jealous of the potential of their little brother that they, they conspired to kill him. And even when they didn't kill him, they lied to their father, saying that he was dead, hoping to destroy his future. Saul saw the potential of the first century church and ordered the stoning of Stephen. He was hoping to destroy the future of the church. You see, the enemy sees your potential and he's afraid of it. That's why he works so desperately hard to destroy your future. But guess what? He's not the potter. He doesn't determine your future. He's not the one who breaks you and remolds you. That's in the hands of God. So the enemy can try. This world can try all they want to destroy your future. But it's not up to them. It's up to you and God. God is the potter and he holds your very future in his hands. If we could all stand. God has destined you, each of you and me, for a purpose. To further his kingdom. To be a vessel to bring the ministry of reconciliation. Church, everyone in this building has a ministry. You may not be a preacher. You may not be an evangelist. You may not be a singer. But the Bible says that Christ has given the church, everyone, the ministry of reconciliation. But the only way you carry out that ministry of reconciliation is you allow God to break you, to mold you, to reshape you. So what I'm asking this morning is just, just for a few minutes, in your own seats, to re-examine what you're going through 
The hardness that you are enduring in your own life right now where you think that God has given up on you, where you feel like that God hates you, but in truth God loves you so much that he is trying to mold you into something better than you already are. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now that you would touch our hearts. Change our perception, O oh God, to endure the brokenness with gladness and joy. Because though it hurts, weeping only endures for the night. And joy comes in the morning. God, you are molding us to be a great vessel for your kingdom, Lord. You are molding us to be such a mighty warrior to bring your message to this lost and dying world. But we must be willingly put ourselves on the altar and on the wheel of the potter to allow for you to take out the imperfections, to take out the impurities, oh God, because you love us in your mercy and grace. Lord, I pray right now for endurance. I pray for endurance for the church. For as the world waxes worse and worse, oh God, we will need more times of pruning, of maturing, oh God. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your love, oh God, that sees our brokenness but does something about it. That sees our shortcomings but chooses to intervene, oh God. I, I thank you. I thank you for your love, for your mercy. Right now I speak a word of encouragement to this church. I speak a word of encouragement to those who feel lost and abandoned, who feel abused and mistreated. I speak a word of encouragement to, to let them know that they are not alone, that you have not left them nor forsaken them. Lord, but that you draw nigh unto them that are brokenhearted. Church, when we feel alone and broken, God is with us. God draws closer to us in our moments of hurt because he wants to be that comfort and that peace for us. Jesus, I pray all these things in your name. All in your name. Amen. Take a short break. Be back in here after the break, ready to get some worship.